space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilization, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Greetings, salutations, and welcome to Retrek. I'm Captain Jim, and with me, of course, is Admiral Elliot. Hi there. And we're back to talk about the latest episode of Lower Decks, An Embarrassment of Duplers, as well as one of our... This is a deep dive, to be fair. We only got a very tenuous link to this episode, but we're running with it, and we're going to cover yesteryear from the animated series. Yeah. And for anyone who's not sure why, we'll tell you <laughs> during the episode. Yeah, well, like we've just been talking, haven't we? Like Lower Decks has so many Easter eggs that we pretty much, whenever Lower Decks is on, we're going to be linking in somehow to another show that we wouldn't yeah. do elsewhere, probably. And this is a fun one to look at. For, for a long time... The when the animated series wasn't considered canon, people still said, "Oh, but yesteryear still counts because that one's got a lot of good stuff in it." So, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the, it, it's probably the most respected animated series episode. Yeah, like, yeah, like we've said this up with the animated series. It's had a very sort of funny past. It it hasn't been canon. It is canon, and mm-hmm. um, I think that. You've got to say that it's been on TV. We've always said this: if it's on TV, it's canon. Yep, it's canon. As, as long as it, as long as it's in books, it may alter when it goes to TV. Yep, and it's just but one if it's of been them. On TV or the movies, it's canon. It's just one of them. If yeah, there's some things that don't quite fit, but you know what? You just gotta live with it. It's fine. Well, let's face it: it's early seventies, mm-hmm. and this was it was. Originally, when animated series was released, it wasn't called Star Trek: The Animated Series. It was just Star Trek. Oh yeah. And this was and this was season four. Yeah, exactly. The original series, but for a number of reasons, it was done in animated form. Yeah, and you know what? It could have been a lot crazier. Like the seventies were when. If you look at your Batman comics, that were when he were going to space and he had Batmite and he had all that. So you know what? This is pretty tame compared to what were going on in the 70s. So anyhow. Yeah, and, and like everyone's going to hate this because they all refer to how you should all follow the original series. The original series broke its own canon almost every other episode. Oh. Yeah, exactly. Well, they they were making it up as they went along, which is great. Yeah. But but yeah, there's. I'm sure people have attempted people, it. People didn't worry as much as they do about it nowadays. No, and you know, I'm sure there's books that have tried to explain why it's called the United Earth Star Command one week, and then it's called the United Earth Federation the next. And, <laughs> but anyway, we're not going to worry about it. So anyway, lower decks first. Then, so an embarrassment of duplers. What I really like about the title, first of all, it, it fits because it's embarrassment that causes them to duplicate, but I like the implication that it's like the collective noun for duplers is an embarrassment, like you get a murder of crows <laughs> yeah. and things like that. So I think that's that's a nice little, almost an in-joke. But 
No pre-credits sequence this week. Straight into the credits. No, straight, straight. Well, there was one one episode, one in season one. There was, season. yeah. Now that you mention it, so it was really weird. I thought that maybe my Amazon uh, wasn't working properly and it'd skip the credits I, for me, so I rewound well, and. <laughs> well, like I really like this episode, and th- I think this is one of my favourite episodes for a few reasons. That we'll get into, but like this definitely has an A, B, and C story. Yeah, which is and there's a lot. Hap- there's a lot happening in all three stories. Yeah, and it's probably like what it's a twenty-five minute show. Yeah, and there's probably times that they have to go. We can't waste that minute on something different for the yeah. like pre-credit scene, and they just have to go. Right, there's no pre-credit scene this week. Yeah, that's a we very... Need to put it in this. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, very good point, because usually the pre-credit scene, it might play into the long, longer episode, but it is just like a joke, basically. It's like, let's get in, you got 30 seconds to tell a gag. Yeah. And then I think you probably bang on there. And yeah, just... like, when when you're looking at, like, a... Well, the, I think about 24 and a half minutes, 25 minutes... So if you're doing 30 seconds to a minute at the beginning, mm-hmm. that's actually a large percentage of your overall time. Definitely. Especially when you take into account in that 25 minutes, you've got the title sequence as well. And as your end credits, credits. yeah. <laughs> no, it's very impressive. And I'm, I'm always impressed with sitcom writers in general, how they do manage to squeeze so much into it. Like, if you look at things like Friends... I think I've said this before, but like they'd often have three different storylines going on and every storyline's got to have a beginning, middle and end. And you've got to yeah. have jokes in it. You know, it's not like you can just tell your story. You, you've got to have a joke every couple of seconds. And, you know, something like Big Bang Theory, they had even less time than Friends. They're about, when you watch them on Netflix, they're about 18, 19 minutes long. Yeah. And you can't believe they get a full story told within that. I know. Oh. Although, how often do we watch an episode of, um, let's say, like, with TNG, we go, that was just too long. Oh, yeah, you definitely. Lost, you could have lost 10 minutes from it. Yeah, there's there's definitely something to be said for it, uh, for shorter episodes, but it, it does show the how well put together they are that they get all of these yeah. ideas thrown in and, like... Just the idea of the Dupler itself, they establish it so quickly, what it is, what the rules are, how it works, and then that's she set up for the various problems that we get in the rest of the episode. But Yeah, like <coughs> like the Dupler is obviously like it's pretty much the like pretty much tribbles, aren't they? Yeah. It's doing their version of tribbles, but like we've had triple episodes now, like and we had a short Trek triple episode. That was oh, very yeah. funny. So that was good. You can see why they've maybe thought, oh, well, we won't do that lower deck triples, but we want to do something similar. Something yeah. similar. Yeah, and what I like about this is that it does put that added spin on it that it's not just that they multiply naturally, it's that there is a cause to it. And the the idea that it's embarrassment is just genius because it's like, well... If one of them gets embarrassed, then the next one's going to be embarrassed because of what's just happened, and so on yeah. and so on, and it just reaches <laughs> critical mass very, very quickly. 
So I think that that's really, really clever how they come up with that. Um, one of the plots then, we've got Mariner and Boimler. And this is great that she's like, well, you want to get into the party? Pretend to be William Boimler then, because he's yeah, well thought it, of on the Titan. And it's not, but it's not about... <laughs> and of course, this is, in a way, a bit of a callback to Defiant, where Tom Riker pretended to be Will Riker. He basically yeah. did this exact same thing, but because we're now looking at it through a lower decks lens, we're not doing it to try and start a war with the Cardassians, we're doing it to try and get into a party, so... Go to a party. <laughs> yeah, which, you know, if you're going to abuse your transporter yeah. duplication, I think that's the that's the way to do it. And then the other plot then, and I think this is the one that really appeals to you, is the Rutherford building the model. Yeah, uh... Like, it, like, to anybody who's a model maker, like, there, there's a whole community that pretty much all we do is Star Trek models, and I'm part of this community. Yeah. I do do other things, bits and pieces, but predominantly do Star Trek models, and there's a But it's this way, he's building the model, and then where he goes down and you see, like, he's got interiors... And we're getting models now, and you can buy aftermarket parts, especially with 3D printing, to do interiors. Like, I've, I've got a Voyager that's hitting my bench soon, and I'm buy, going to be buying all the interiors for it. Yeah, I really love that but, detail. Like, so, oh, you can see them if you look through the window, and you can... Yeah, you can see uh, Marion and Bossing Boimler about. <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really, really good. But and it's like where he where he has the phaser working and all that. And we do this lighting stuff and all that. And it's mm. how real can we actually make them see these models? Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> we get into it a bit more later on with the warp car and everything, but yeah, it's brilliant some of the, the stuff that they reference and the way they pull it off and everything. Um once the dupler starts duplicating then like you know we end up like we said it's this critical mass thing that it's oh my god i'm so embarrassed oh no i can't believe and it starts to get out of hand right. no 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 one's captain uh, freeman goes no one say anything you're giving us the silent treatment yeah. <laughs> and this seems to be a thing that we're doing quite a bit this season with freeman that She's really eager to impress, like, the higher-ups, but she just puts her foot in it at the wrong moment. She always seems on the cusp of making it into the good books and maybe getting a different ship, and then... I don't even think she wants a different ship. I think she just wants the Cerritos to be given different duties. Yeah, that's a fair point. Yeah, she hasn't got a problem with the crew or anything. Yeah, because she's always saying that wheel be doing this, we won't be doing these missions, we'll be doing other things. Yeah. It's almost like she doesn't want to be moved off the Cerritos, and you hear this from, we've heard this with Star Trek, Starfleet personnel, right through all the series, that they have this fondness for the ships, and yeah, they're, you're right. they stay on the ships for a long time, and it's more sort of, Moving your, your ship up the yeah, ladder. She wants as opposed to just moving yourself up the ladder. Because she makes a thing, doesn't she? She says, like, we're the only California class. I'm the only California class captain who's been invited. 
So she's yeah. obviously thinking, oh, we're, we're just about to cross over now and get that bit more respect and get the better missions. And she always seems to just flub it at the last moment. You know, in this case, it's the duplers behind her while she's going on about it. Um, there's a yeah, good... you can't come until you've got your dupler problem sorted. Yeah. There's a good little joke with Boimler and Mariner where they're talking about the scants from TNG season one. And it's they, they talk about it almost like, you know, as if we were talking about flares or something. You know, it's something that was yeah. fashionable a few years ago, but it's gone out now. And, yeah, I mean, you know, we've talked about how... Gene Roddenberry was ahead of his time in a lot of ways and he pushed for stuff that the network wasn't ready for and that society wasn't ready for. And the idea of there's going to be one unisex uniform, but it's going to lean more into the feminine side or what we would now associate yeah. with the feminine style well, of dress. I don't think it's so much the scant. It's like it was the dress uniform and the dress uniforms were scants. The dress uniforms were, but you still wore pants under them, whereas the scan, yeah. you didn't. And, I, you know, I think uh, the network was obviously okay with it, so they let it go, but I'm not sure the actors were that keen on it. You never saw any of yeah. the main cast in a scan, apart from Troy. I'll rephrase, you never saw any of the male main cast main in cast. one. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's dropped out of fashion anyway. And we finally get something that we've been talking about since Picard episode four. Is Quark's a franchise? And we find out, yes, it is in this one. Yeah. It's not just well, that is... Quark's moved. We we get confirmation from Mariner. They've got a Quark's here. She says it as a, you know, in the similar way you might say, oh, they've got a Starbucks or something. So. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Starbucks is open, Dave. When I, when I was... Basically, this was just an empty lot. Yeah, exactly. So we, we get that confirmation now. And, you know, we saw it in Picard, but this is only a few years after DS9, so Quark really has ramped up his well, business ideas. Well, he said he was going to the end of DS9, didn't he? Well, that's it, and he wasn't kidding, and <laughs> we're seeing it here. But did you notice as well, though, um, when they're driving round in the buggy and they crash out of a casino... It's called the the happy, the lucky Ferengi. So I'm wondering, is that a rival organisation? Oh, possibly. Because it doesn't say quacks as they're coming out, and yeah. I'm thinking maybe there's. I, there's... I don't know. I don't know if you noticed, but like that entire chase in the buggy is just a homage to the Blues Brothers. Yes. When they're driving through when they're driving through the mall, because Boyle keeps going, oh, hairdressers, oh, yeah. <laughs> Which is a brilliant scene in the Blues Brothers. Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. That I, might be my evening's viewing tonight. I might watch that again. You can't go wrong with Blues Brothers. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think you're right. I'd not I'd not put two and two together, but, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is oh, very much that sequence. <laughs> and one thing I wanted to pull out here, and you do notice it in the scene with the buggies, and... I noticed it in the first shot of the ship. The animation looks to have stepped up a gear. I don't know whether it's just the way it's all well, framed in this episode, but particularly I've, the well, the 3D elements well, we look brilliant. We said it from the first episode, didn't we, with the titles and 
they've just improved the animation. Yeah. And it... Like, I wonder if, like, we had lockdown, like, the first episode, the first season came out during lockdown. Hmm. And they went on, and I wonder if they've had time to talk to each other more. Maybe so. I mean... And, it, and actually get people into a studio together. Yeah. As opposed to everyone working remotely and... It just... They, being able to just tweak little bits. But the animation has improved between the two seasons. Yeah, it just really jumped out at me, this episode. Uh, just that first shot of the ship, I was like, wow, that just looks different to how we've seen it before. And it might just be the choice of the angle and everything, but I really loved it. So onto this chase then, and this is where we get our link to our second episode, because we see the avians... And they're <coughs> featured in yesteryear. So that, that's how we're justifying it. Uh, there's also a guy who I think is meant to be pretty much like Boothby. Like you've got the gardener guy who's quite old. But, yeah. But he, he's got this really bizarre thing where he, he sort of, he wants to die. Like He's like, yeah, yeah. Oh, I survived. <laughs> yeah, it. I don't know. Maybe just fed up of having to garden constantly. Maybe so, yeah. The avians are making too much mess for him. But, yeah, <laughs> I, it's a really off-the-wall kind of beat in the episode, but it just really tickled me. It just really appeals to my sense of humour, does that? Right, this episode is just full of Easter eggs. Yeah. Like, last week, last week during Star Trek Day, when Mike McMahon said there's at least 100 Star Treks to come in, the last so many episodes. It wasn't joking. No, not like, at all. Rammed. We've got a lot in this episode. Um, one of them, then, is where... And I'm in two minds on this, because Boimler sees Captain Shelby, who obviously is the Shelby that we knew from Best of Both Worlds, which I'm really yeah. happy to see her. But he says, and her number one. And it's not or it doesn't look like the same number one from the New Frontier books. And I was like, oh, you know, I've got this thing that I want them to make the New yeah. Frontier books canon. And I was like, there was your chance. It should have been Cat Mueller. <laughs> and, you know, but instead they went for this big bug-eyed alien thing. Uh, not an official bug-eyed well, alien. We'll get to well, that. This is actually, um, with all the eyes on, is actually how Saru was meant to look. Oh, was it? So is that like a design yeah. sketch that they? Yeah. Ah, yeah. brilliant. This was like uh, this was early plans for Saru, and it was decided that, like with all the eyes, it just be too complicated to make it look good and realistic. Yeah, I can see that. that I it, mean, like that it, for the budget on TV, but like they've still got huge budgets for these shows compared to. Like what yeah. makes Jen and DS9 had, <coughs> but the the not a movie. No, I mean that'd be for the CGI. That'd be difficult uh, for like a Marvel movie or a Star Wars movie yeah. even to pull that off realistically. But yeah, that's really nice that the work that somebody did on that concept design is being acknowledged <laughs> in a different been, medium. Yeah, really like them doing that. Um, so. Maybe one day I'll get my my new frontier, but the, not today, sadly. The one, the other captain that's mentioned, and his his number one is this little guy sat on his yes. shoulder. What is that a reference to? I have no idea. I was trying to think, and 
If anyone knows, let us know what yeah, that... I, I can't think of anything in Star Trek, certainly. Um, it, it could even be a private joke by the writers, artists, or yeah. whatever. It, I really don't know. But yeah, if anyone does have an answer to that, let us know. Um, so Tendy and Rutherford then, they're all badged in by the Duplets, and this is where they eject the warp core. And what I love about it is that they still have to turn the keys at the same time. It's like to they've eject... Got, they've got the little tweezers holding the keys. Yeah, to, to eject the, the <laughs> model walk Like, to car. get them in place. And, like, the amount of times when I've been working with small parts and you're there, you've got your, your goggles on, your magnifiers, and you've got your tweezers. And you it seems like you're going like that, like your hands... So still, but yeah. because you're magnified and working in on small detail. And it's it's the fact that it's that accurate a model that because in the real world you have to have two authorizations to eject a warp car, it's like <coughs> that's even built into the model that you have to have the authorization yeah. to do it. Like I just love it. It's a really good little detail. And then Mariner and Boimler then end up in this bar and I love the fact that there's one of Morn's species or maybe Morn himself we don't know and he's yeah, sort of it, propping it, the well, bar in the Morn's background species. well this bar like it's real when the camera pans round it yeah it's worth look watching this in slow motion because every one of them photos on the wall yeah is from the original series yeah it's, a, it's the monster or the alien of the week. Yeah. <laughs> and then on the bar, they've got like a model of the phoenix. And yeah, there's yeah. a load of... See, this this is the sort of place you'd want to hang out, or I would if I lived in that world, you know. I mean, I suppose what's yeah, the, the it, equivalent? Like, how long? So it's about 100 years ago. So that'd be like us going into a bar... And it being like a roaring twenties like themed bar. Like um, oh, what's the bar down the down the side alley? Old one in Leeds. White Locks. Yeah, going to White Locks because of the old bar and the original. Yeah, yeah. For anyone like, not, not from Leeds, White Locks is the oldest bar in Leeds, and it's been made to look still sort of how it did. Well, well, the the bar itself is. Uh, registered so the yeah all you can all you can do is repair it you can't alter it and it's all this ceramic tile and copper top to it and yeah the place looks, looks amazing and if you want to use the loo it's they've had to put one in upstairs because there wasn't one when the bar was original you've got to go up these <laughs> yeah. steps that were made in the 1800s <clears throat> that are the steepest things you've it's not a good idea when it's, you've had a it, few beers. <laughs> it, no, it, it's borderline walking up a ladder to go to the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> and walking back down them, especially if you've had a few pints at the bar, is yeah. not always the best idea. But anyway, so yeah, it is like going into an oldie-worldy bar for them. But as a Star Trek fan, you'd love going into this bar. And they're getting this argument over who's who's number one. And let's be well, honest. Well, Boimler had got into the party, hadn't he? Yes. Marina went there alone. She was drinking shots on her own. Yeah. But at least he comes so, out and he admits it's no fun without her. Yeah. Which but, is nice. Like, 
I don't know about you, but I got this vibe from this episode of this these two almost becoming an item. Maybe, yeah. I mean, you I could, think not just going beyond being friends. That yeah. could almost become an item. <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, there's been almost like a flirtation with that um, earlier, hasn't there? And they've had bits where people have said, oh, isn't that your boyfriend or whatever? So you never know. Um, Boimler, though, is kidding himself if he honestly thinks that he's in charge and Mariner's (laughs) his number one. Like, you know, let's be honest. I think anybody who's looking at the two of you knows who's in charge, but let him have his moment. (laughs) And then... This almost, we're almost kind of picking up something we did earlier in the season when you had the giant head ransom and it was like, oh, the way we defeat it is by being nice to it. And it's kind of the opposite of that with the Duplas. It's like, no, you've got to be aggressive to them. Well, yeah, Captain Freeman just has enough and shouts at them. Yeah. Pull yourself together almost. Exactly. And it works. And they all come behind back together again, which is great. And... Then, when Freeman gets knocked back from the bar, this is a little bit evil, a revenge, really. I mean, it's funny, but, like, the poor Dupler's been, you know, he's been so stressed out and embarrassed that he's duplicated all this. (laughs) Then they manage to sort him out, and then she's like, you know what, I've had enough for you, and I've had enough for the admirals and everything. (laughs) So I'm going to use you to get revenge on them. It's... It is... Almost a little bit spiteful, really, but I can, well, go, I can well, understand it. Here, like, to know that the duplers duplicate if they get embarrassed. Yeah. Why isn't it in the diplomatic notes? If the, if you do have a, an embarrassment of duplers happen, yeah, and um, get angry with them to reverse it. Maybe she's the first one that's worked it out, or maybe it just only works with this guy. It's not like. Uh, Though you'd expect I, I it to be a, a species-wide thing, wouldn't you? Because if they yeah. if they have a physical response to the emotion of embarrassment, then you would assume that... And, and it's a defence mechanism. There has to be a way of reversing yeah, it. Yeah, you, you'd assume that the opposite reaction is, is true as well, yeah. Um, anyway, they all end up back at the bar then. And we find out Tendy's got Rutherford a new model, which is Deep Space Nine. And also, the the branding on it is Quark's. Well, I'd like before this, that Tandy point, like Rutherford's been really annoyed because obviously we know he got his cybernetics pulled out and he's lost memory sort of from the previous year. And he's been worried that old Rutherford was better than him because he could do the model. Yeah. And then Tandy goes... No, we never used to finish it. It was just a, we used to just sit. It was so that we could uh, sit together without being yeah, disturbed. It's, it's the fun of doing it. It's not the the yeah, actual finishing. But, yeah. Uh, but like, I love that part as well because anyone who builds models has multiple models in various stages of completion. Yeah. And like, <coughs> I've got I've got completed models around, but I have. So many models that are in different stages towards being finished. And then, like, I've had a move around in my flat and I've got to go back and repair my case on Raider because I've knocked knocked one of the wings off. And some of the LEDs have stopped working and I'm sort of 
Well, am I going to open it up and repair <laughs> it all? Or... No, that's it. So and that's, it's... But that's now moved into the... That's gone from being the completed pile. Yeah. That's now back in the... Oh, this is a model to be finished. Well, that's it. It's the <laughs> gift yeah. that keeps on giving, isn't it? You never quite... Yeah. You never fully finished with it all. Um, yeah, and then, as I said, Quark's got his branding on the Deep Space Nine, so as well as having his own range of bars, he's selling merchandise. Well, I thought this uh, jumped into your world here of Lego. Because <laughs> uh, Rutherford looks at the box and he goes, oh, it's got an Esri and a Chad minifigure. <laughs> yeah, almost. I mean, the the thing that Lego probably wouldn't give you both of them in one set, you'd probably have to buy the runabout set to get Esri or something yeah. so that you've got to buy more than one to get the full collection. Or it'd just be, you'd get two different heads so that you've got to buy a different... <laughs> they won't let you get away with having the full crew. Um, but if Lego are listening, you need to get the rights to Star Trek. We need official, proper Star Trek uh, Lego models that... So, that... what was it? It was on one of my model channels, and somebody has uh, just done the Klingon Bird of Train Lego. Oh, yeah, people do their own models of them, and, and they're brilliant. And I saw it. I saw the picture, and I thought it was... Um, the AMT kit they've done, they've done such a good job. Oh, you can. And of actually making it look. Yeah, there, there have been other ones as well. Creo held the rights for the Kelvin film, so I had a Kelvin knockoff Lego Enterprise, yeah. and Mega Blocks have done it, but they're not as good as proper Lego. So if you're listening, Lego, we want to get you to get on that. Uh, and then, obviously, the payoff to the whole episode is that Boimler does admit that he's the number one, not Mariner, which, yeah. Well, he, he says it, doesn't he, as Captain Freeman goes past them behind and she goes, no, I heard it, that stands. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And she's right. Maybe one day, Boimler, but um, I don't think anyone, despite her rank, I don't think anybody's... Mariner will consider herself anybody's number one, at least not no. at this stage. Yeah, no, so not a chance. Another really strong episode, much better than last Re week's. Really good fun episode, really fun, yeah. So let's move on to yesteryear then. So the, as we said, the most widely praised, I think, animated episode... Um, part of the reason why, straight away, your first credit written by DC Fontana. So yeah. that's serious, not just Star that's Trek. serious but, Star Trek writing pedigree. Exactly, but not just Star Trek, just general science fiction writing yeah. pedigree. So that's the thing a lot of people yeah. forget is back in like the 50s, 60s, the writers that they got for sci-fi shows were also sci-fi writers in well, their own respect. Well, you know. DC Fontana, she started as uh, being Gene Roddenberry's secretary yeah. when the show was first being made, and he he allowed her to sort of uh, submit scripts. and Yeah. Like, for, for a lot of years, they'd go into the studio, they didn't know that it was coming from his secretary. Yeah, well, that's the thing, is the, the DC use of the initials. It was a very, ma very male-orientated world, but... 
DC Fontana, she's amazing. Absolutely. And this is a good episode. I do have a major issue with it, which we'll get to in good time. But um, Does it involve Cyborg or Michael? No, it doesn't, actually. Um, we, we, yeah, we'll talk about them as well. Uh, but, yeah, the Guardian of Forever, then. So they're going back to the Guardian of Forever, which, yeah, one of the most iconic things from the original series. Why not? Let's yeah, bring and, it back. And it, and um, the avians are the historians who are studying things. Yes. And then Kirk's been on a trip to Orion for some reason just to have a look at the past. And he, he comes out of the Guardian and he says, I don't think I've changed anything. Everything's fine. But everybody's really surprised to see Mr. Spock. And this is the... yeah. This is the setup of the episode. So, again, we're seeing that thing of because we're dealing in 25 minute episodes now, you've got to get your setup done really, really quickly. So, we don't bother how did they get there? Why are they at the Guardian? What's going on? We're just straight well, into the action. Oh, oh, yeah, it's just, it's, it said very quickly um, historians are studying. You're yeah. the Guardian of Forever to study study the past. Which makes perfect sense as well. It's like if you had that resource, of course you would use that to study but this also flicks into like the latest episode of um, in latest season of Discovery, yeah. where the Guardian of Forever has been misused. Oh, yeah. Federation. So we're, we're seeing at this point the Federation is starting to use it for historical reasons. And at what yeah, point for observation. Did it? Did things change? Yeah, when the time war kicked off, it was oh, the, yeah. this is a weapon now. This isn't just yeah, yeah. And we get an Andorian as the first officer, which is pretty cool. I think maybe obviously because you know we're on the side of Kirk and Spock here. You know we're like you know Mister Spock's our first officer, not this guy. But presumably in this altered timeline, this must still be a good guy. You know, Kirk won't have him yeah. as his first officer, but he's he's played well, a little it, bit sinister. Like he's been your first officer for five years. Yeah, Bones says to him, doesn't he? And I just think the way he's drawn and the way he's played is a little bit arch, maybe, as if he he's a little bit boo-hiss, which I don't think he needs to be. But no, he didn't need to be because he does nothing wrong. No, he doesn't, and this is one he, of them. He, he even goes out of his way trying to find out information about Spock's past. Yeah, exactly. And this is my this is getting on to my major issue with the episode. So bear in mind that we we agree that this guy didn't do anything wrong. They work out then that the past must have been altered, but they can't work out how or why. And there's a lot, like you say, there's a lot of interesting stuff with this where they're, they're delving <coughs> into it and they go, they find well, out... the whole... The whole thing is a paradox. Yes. But it, to me, it doesn't work because what the... The way they say it up then, we'll get, we'll get into it. So basically, they're saying that in the original timeline, Kirk and Spock witnessed Spock's past through the Guardian of Forever... And when they realised that Spock was going to die, Spock went back to save himself. Yeah. So, 
the reason that doesn't happen is because this time when they observe it, they're not there because they're they're back on Orion. So yeah. that that means that Spock in the if there's an original timeline, that means in the original yeah. timeline, Spock is supposed to die. And it's only because they've gone back in time it, and prevented it that Spock doesn't it, it's die. It's why the whole thing is a paradox. But is it? Like it's how one of, it's the um, what is it? Is what do we call it? Is it the grandfather? The grandfather paradox. paradox. Where, yeah, yeah. And I think this is the grandfather paradox. But that you only exist because you went back and did something and saved yourself for you to exist. Yeah, but that wouldn't be logical and, to do but that. It, 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 but it, re, it, this, in, this opens an interesting thing and I think this is your problem with the episode is if Spock was meant to die when just before his seventh birthday yeah and he only survived because Spock went back to save himself yeah then that's the false <coughs> then yeah at that point where Spock has gone back yeah is where time is altered exactly. because Spock was meant to die exactly so the Orion is the one who should have existed. Yeah, the the Andorian guy hasn't Andorian, done anything sorry. wrong, and effectively, by the end of this episode, they wipe him out of existence because they well, prefer... Well, they wipe him out of being on the Enterprise. On the, yes, Spock you're right. He'd, yeah, he'd still be there somewhere else, wouldn't he? But, yeah. But, yeah, so they, they effectively change history because they prefer... Their version, Spock. which whereas yeah. usually when we do time travel stories like this in Star Trek, it's always somebody's done something wrong and changed the past, and we're fixing it. And that, whereas this is the opposite yeah. of that, this is we've yeah, it like like you meant to think that Spock is going back to put things right. Yeah, but he is save himself, but he isn't. He's actually going back to alter the past. Yeah, exactly. To have his, so Spock shouldn't exist. No, he shouldn't. That's it. It's it's crazy this one, and and it's just yeah. so the opposite of every other time travel story we do in Star Trek. In fact, there was. I wonder how we missed this one out from our time travel series. I don't know. Yeah, we yeah we just didn't get around to it, did we? Um. Yeah, we should have done this when we did Sit on the Edge of Forever, really. Anyway, we're doing it now. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Thank you, Lower Decks, <laughs> for putting us on to this one. So, yeah, that's my my issue with it, is that it's just... I wonder maybe if, it, if it's a combination of a couple of things. Is it, first of all, we've only got 25 minutes, so we've got to quickly explain things, and maybe if we've had a bit more time to spend looking at the ins and outs of it all we might have got a, a bigger explanation and also maybe as well because it's kind of aimed at a children's audience it's like we don't want to make it too complicated so yeah children watching it would just go oh well they fixed it so we've got well, mr spock back it's interesting because like the anime i know it's the animated series but like i said earlier it's season four but like original series was actually meant to be a children's series. Like mm. CBS put it out was like ten o'clock on Friday nights and stuff, <laughs> which was 
Yeah. Ludicrous time. And then they wondered why they didn't get massive ratings, but... <laughs> yeah. And it, it's got a little bit of, like, when we talked about the Infinite Vulcan, we... We talked a little bit about how quickly they arrive at conclusions, and we said we think this yeah. is because it's a smaller form, you know, a shorter format. And you get a bit of that again here, like uh, when Spock says, "Oh, my cousin saved me," and straight away Kirk just goes, "Did your cousin look like you? Maybe it was you from the future." And again, yes, it, they just get there so quickly because we've got to yeah, advance yeah. the plot. And yeah, you can't have sev- you can't have several. Several options. You've got one option. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, again, if you were doing this in a forty-five minute episode, I could easily imagine it being something like Spock says, "I don't remember him that well," and then he either has to do a meditation and the memories come back, or he has a dream where he remembers it, or yeah, something like that. But yeah, you've got to do it a bit more expediently. A lot of what we get, though, and I think this is a lot of the reason why people were like, no, we should count this as canon, um, is the stuff we see about the Vulcan maturity test and the Vulcan society and Spock being bullied as a kid. All of this yeah. is stuff that we've incorporated later on. And if you look at like the way they're dressed and things, it, it's not a million miles away from what we see in the flashbacks in Discovery or in the J.J. Abrams movies. So <clears throat> I really love how much of this episode has been yeah, used it, later. It, like, we didn't see a lot of Vulcan itself in the original series. We've got a mock time. I think that's the only time we actually in went to Vulcan. In terms of actually it? going to the planet, yeah. Yeah, but the catch with that, that it's a sandy place, it's mm. deserts, it's, yeah. it's rugged. I mean, to be honest, uh, with how important like, Vulcan is, we've seen very little of it, really. I, I want to address here straight away, because one of the big things is that Michael has never mentioned earlier, and uh, this was brought up when Discovery came out, where was she in yesteryear? Mm-hmm. And where's Cybok in yesteryear? Right, Cybok is obviously from Sarek's first marriage. Yeah. And, like, this actually doesn't take place at this... Um, what is it? Ceremony. What's ceremony called? Oh, I forget the name, but yeah, it's the maturity test. Or... Maturity, maturity one, which is on his seventh birthday. This is actually twenty days earlier. True. Yeah. So, so I believe that if that at the actual ceremony, Cybok would have turned up. Yeah, I mean, Cybok were a bit of a um, rebel. Like, he were probably down the pub. Yeah, but. But Sarah hasn't Sarah hasn't got custody. Cybok's with his mum because that's how a lot of custodies go with the yeah the Vulcan priestess yeah. So I'm fine with that. That Cybok wasn't there because this is actually three weeks before the ceremony. Yeah. Michael's not there because it's before she got there. Yeah. This is just before Spock's seventh birthday. When we first see Michael arrive, Spock is already following the Vulcan logic ways. You're right, yeah. So he's he's and gone Spock through this test. Spock doesn't make that choice until this episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm happy. So, I'm happy with that. 
That is both of them explained, no problem. Yep, I'm totally happy with that. I say I always imagine like Cybox probably off at uni and getting some funny ideas well, about Shakari and stuff like that. Well, so. I, I think uh, I think uh, Cybox will be there for his uh, maturity oh, yeah. ceremony. Uh, I think all his family will be there. Yeah. I, I think it's a bit odd that they don't know who Cousin Silock is. Yeah, yes. And, and Spock does manage to blag him, like, oh, well, maybe the resemblance is because I'm your third cousin twice removed on the left-hand side or whatever. Yeah. Fair enough. And it, the, there is some, like, twists to it. Like, Spock thinks oh, I must have altered the timeline because the test isn't taking place at the right time. And it's like, no, you hadn't remembered it properly, Spock. You, it was actually before that. And he's a bit harsh to his, what's it called, a Salat, the the big cat, dog, bear thing. And he says to it, he says, like, you, you're too old and fat, stay at home. It's like, you're too old to come with me. Yeah. It's like, oh, But... But then you find out that he'd been Sarek's pet. Yeah, oh, he probably is too old, and, yeah. And that he'd, adopt, that he'd sort of passed down to him, so yeah. yeah. This has been a family pet, so yeah, it probably is too old. And Yeah, and you know, kids' Saturday morning TV show, but we still kill off a beloved family pet. You know, it doesn't really pull any punches there. It's like... Well, you could do these things in the 70s. As that's true, actually. Yeah, you're right. Um, it... Was it better or not is open for debate, but I don't think it was a problem. I don't think it is, and I think if it, it was done well like this, because it shows uh, that... Uh, and this is where it's done well. Yeah, because Spock's learning a lesson about mortality but also about having to take on the maturity to make decisions and you know they get the the healer but he has to choose like to be merciful effectively because it's in pain and everything so yeah it's a it, it's a good little story arc that they take young spock on again with such a short run time but uh You've got an episode like the, that's like you've got a you've got a, a short run time, but you've got a time travel putting yeah. something right. Or well, I'll, I'm going to put that in inverted commas, putting something right. Yeah, we're going to make the fair. timeline how we want it. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. We'll um, we'll we'll adjust yeah. the timeline selfishly to suit our needs, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, but then you've got a morality yeah story in there. And let's be honest here, right? This is something that kids uh, have to deal with, with the pets, the right time for them to be put down yeah. and, and stuff. So this is actually a really good lesson of how to do it. Yeah, it is. But it's not done in a in a preachy sort of way. Like, it's not, it's not like your He-Man cartoon where He-Man comes on at the end and goes, oh, and remember, kids, don't do drugs or whatever you do. You're not hit over the head with it in this. It's done organically no, through no, the story. It, it, it's, yeah, it's done through the story, but it's a good learning curve. Yeah. Like, yeah, I have no problem with this teaching kids that. No, not yeah, at all. You, and with a lot of kids that 
of that age where this would be aimed at at the time, your pet would your pets would be the first thing that you probably lost. Yeah, I mean, in in a lot of circumstance, well, it ideally, you know, it sounds harsh, but ideally, you would want your child's first experience of death to be a pet dying rather than yeah. a, a, a loved one dying. So, yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of good stuff as well, like with Spock talking to young Spock about logic and things like that. And, and a lot of that is things that other Star Trek in the future has come back to and has dealt with, you know, like we've said in the J.J. Abram films, in the flashbacks in Discovery... Even in the the movies, you know, Spock goes on this journey of learning more about logic and what it means and how to reconcile that with his human half and everything. So there's a lot of things going on in this episode that were springboards, really, for what Star Trek went on to do. And it's even more impressive that it's done. It helped develop a lot of the Vulcan law. Absolutely. So, yeah, it's a very impressive episode. You know, it's, I think, apart from, as we've said, the the problem at the heart of it is that I'm not quite sure the time travel thing works the way they wanted it to, or, you know, yeah, but, but, um... but the story itself and the heart of the story and the emotion of the story, all of that works. And it plays out. So I think it's one of them where you can forgive a lapse in storytelling logic as long as everything else is as solid as it is. Like, let's be honest. um, How many time travel shows, episodes, have huge holes in them? (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. Like... (laughs) But this is a this is very much a grandfather paradox. It I is, and it. like you say, the the justification could be like the the guys when they're interviewing Cisco in the Trials and Tribulations. You know, they could say this could be a predestination paradox. <coughs> so Spock has to save himself, and therefore yeah. they are doing the right thing because it was what had to happen. Um, but I think. If that was going to be the case, they probably needed to spend a little bit more time on it, but the format of it being a 25-minute cartoon, <laughs> which is intended yeah. for a kid's audience as well, yeah, you just not really got time yeah. to, to do it, really. Yeah, I can argue, I, like, you can argue as much as you want that it, it's made for adults because it's a season four, but, no, it was put out as a kid's cartoon. Yeah, exactly, and I think... So we even broach the idea of grandfather paradoxes and things like that in a kid's cartoon. (laughs) On one hand, yeah, it sounds ambitious, but this is what made stuff like this great. And I think what a lot of kids' media misses out on these days is children's imagination is a lot stronger than people probably give it credit for. Like kids can, kids are like sponges. They can take this in. You're not gonna oh, overly yeah. confuse them. A kid will be able to watch this and make sense of it. It's us yeah. as adults that probably struggle with this more. 
But I, I gar- and, guarantee and you. Analyze it. Yeah, I'll guarantee you there won't have been an issue with this with the majority of the intended audience. But none, none whatsoever from what I remember of watching it. No, exactly. So yeah, very impressive episode. Um, next time, then, we're going to be covering the next Lower Decks, whatever that might be. We've still not uh, seen Ben yet, so uh, looking yeah, forward I've, to I've that. Yeah, I've watched it already. Um, All right, well. Don't the do Spy a... Humongous. The Spy Humongous. Right, I'll be catching that later and, today, then. Um, I won't ruin it for anyone, so I won't say what the other episode is that we're going to be covering next week. But I've already made my decision what I think we should cover. Right. Well, I'll look forward to that. <laughs> and then, um, yeah, we'll be back to talk about that. If you want to get in touch with us in the meantime, you can hit us up on Twitter at RetrekPod. You can email us, RetrekPod at gmail.com. Or come and join us on the Facebook group. Um, two other things uh, before we go. Um just a reminder, on the 25th and the 26th of September, which I'm not sure when... I know when this is going out live now. It's two weeks away. Or a week on Saturday, Sunday. Yeah. Um, we're appearing on Squeefest, um, raising money for Phoenix Dog Rehoming. Yep. Um, so, links in the description. Yeah. Uh, check us out then. Yep, and we're going to um, be... Also... If anyone's not subscribed to my Retrek Models Studios channel, please subscribe. I need 23 subscribers to be able to have my own URL. <laughs> there we go. That's all we need. And there's um, the making of the Enterprise birthday cake on there, so that's worth checking out, even if you're not interested in the model, normal models. But when you're making it out of cake, that's got to be worth a couple of clicks. So... <laughs> <laughs> Go check that out. Um, thanks for trekking with us this time, and we'll see you next time on the retrek. Thank you. Bye bye.